So last week, we talked mainly about John 15, 15. I no longer call you slaves, but friends. And the week before that, we introduced sort of three questions. Question one, what are we saved from? Question two, what are we saved for? And then question three, you know. What does God get out of all this? So I tried to do it all in one, but it it didn't work. So here we are again. And the goal of both of the first two messages was to try to push to the third question. What does God actually get out of this? Because it seems to me that the normal gospel only asks the first question. The, the, The common gospel only asks the first question. What are we saved from? The answer, we simplify it down to hell. When we die. Which kind of robs the gospel of its heart and essence. So a big verse for us in here, when we see 1010 on the clock. What do you guys think when you see 1010 on the clock? See? John 10.10, right there. Which says... The thief has come to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and more abundantly. That Jesus doesn't just come to keep us from being punished later. He comes so that we would live well, that we wouldn't waste our lives, that we would get in on the purpose of our existence, that we know we're loved, that we know we have value, that we relate well to God. And so last week, I pushed really hard to try to get us to this place where we, we, we were on level ground to ask the question, how do I love God? How can I actually love God? How can I get over me and stop living for selfishness? Because you can stay selfish and ask the first two questions. What am I saved from? What am I saved for? But, but to get to that third question needs a big enough gospel to get us even there. So this week, I want to dig just a little bit more, well, no, slight recap. I also asked the question if you could snap your fingers. Two weeks ago, I said, I said, wives, what if you had the power to just snap your fingers and your man would be exactly how you wanted? What did you say? Come on, man. You know you have conflict sometimes. What? Okay, well, everyone else then. And so the point there I was trying to make, that was in the first sermon, the point I was trying to make there is, You'd say, well, God has all the power. He can do whatever he wants. He, can, he knows everything, and he, there's nothing impossible for God. I mean, he sustains the entire universe simply by his very will. He's sustaining everything. So if God wanted to, he could just snap his fingers, and we would love him. We would obey him. We would do whatever he wanted. So why doesn't he do that? So what, so there's something, 
God could use his power to get his will done, but he wouldn't be getting what he wants. And I was trying to make the point with relation, our relationships, if I snap my fingers, can I tell a story with the lost keys? So one day, Carrie didn't show up for church. Like, she didn't show up for the singing time, didn't show up for the preaching time. I just kept watching, like, where is my wife? Then it was after church, and we were having a fellowship meal, and she wasn't coming to that. I'm just getting even more stressed out, and the kids are home, everyone's home, and I'm like, where is my wife? She's usually late, but she's not usually that late. And I'm getting madder and madder. Like, I'm very angry at this point, and finally I call Carrie, and I go, what's going on? She's like, I lost the keys and the backup keys. And I, I can't start the vehicle, so we didn't come. And I have little hooks for keys. So when you come in, you don't think. Thinking is how you make dumb decisions. So don't think. Just eliminate as much thinking from your life as possible. There's little hooks on the wall. You walk in, and you've programmed yourself like a machine. Right? Just like I wish I could program the children that when they use a bowl, they wash a bowl and they put a bowl away. Why would you make bowls everywhere for me to wash or for me to make you wash? That's stupid. Just make habits that don't make work for everybody. There's whole people's careers that need to be eliminated by the whole society developing character. But anywho, so I have hooks. You hang your key on the hook. You don't have to think. I'm so mad. I'm so mad. And Dennis sees that I'm mad. And Dennis says, what's wrong? And I go, this woman. She drives me crazy. I'm so angry. My kids didn't come to church today because... Now, are you still okay with me telling the story or have you changed your mind by now? (laughs) My kids aren't even at church today because she is the way she is. Why is she the way she is? It's maddening and he says well let me ask you this if she was the kind of girl that didn't lose car keys and your debit card when she borrows it after losing hers are we still okay Dennis asks, if she were the kind of girl who wouldn't lose car keys, would she still be the girl you're in love with? And I was like, ah, crap, he got me. (sighs) No. No, she wouldn't. You can't can't change the personality, because who you are has strengths and weaknesses. We're going to work on our weaknesses. We're going to hopefully develop our strengths. But that's just the truth. Nobody's good at everything. And if you're good at this, you're usually not great at this. If you're really good at writing poetry and expressing emotion, you have a lot of words, you usually are bad at engineering and math and organization. Not always. But most of the time. 
If you're highly emotionally tuned in and intelligent, you know, you're probably not teaching physics at MIT. And if you're teaching physics at MIT, you might be a little tone deaf to why she's mad all the time at you. Are you mad at me? No, I'm fine. Oh, she must be fine. <laughs> she ain't fine, bro. Trust your gut. That, that actually changed my whole like, mind. You have to accept... You, like, so, okay. so then me and God had a talk based on what Dennis said. Would she still be the girl you're in love with if she wasn't the girl who loses keys? I said, okay, God. So me and God are talking, and he goes, so what are you going to do if she never changes? Because I'm going to love her. He made it my problem. Do you hear what I just said? He made her issues my problem. In my mind, she, I need to, I need to, she needs to change. And the Holy Spirit's like, well, okay, here's the deal. I'm going to love her. What are you going to do if she never changes? So then I said, okay, well, let's see. If it's my job to love her even if she never changes, I should plan on her losing keys. So if I'm going to plan on her losing keys, I need to have more than one backup. So I took out the little chip that needs to be near the... Uh, the ignition has an electrical sensor in it, and when that chip is near it, then it will allow the key to turn and turn the car on. And I didn't feel like paying the dealer $100 per key, because that's what they would like to charge. So I took the thingy out, and I hot glue gunned it to, to the steering column. And then I made dumb copies, like at the Ace Hardware that used to exist before they shut it down, because Lowe's is aggressive. Yeah, you know how it is. And I made like nine copies of that key, and I bought big bright lanyards and put them on, and I bought a magnety thing to store it underneath the thing. I just went crazy. Smart idea, Tim. Smart idea. Now, well, another thing we could try, though, is for some of the individuals in this section <laughs> that have ovaries, um, maybe we need to install additional gas tanks as well. So just, just so they could push a button and it would just like swap over to the secondary, the auxiliary fuel. Oh, <laughs> some who don't have ovaries. Okay. They have, they have trucks that actually have second tanks on Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Carrie just needs a massive work truck. All right. And you get the point I'm really trying to make here. I know I'm being playful, but the point I'm making here is God doesn't snap his fingers and try to fix us. He, he puts a, a bad choice in the Garden of Eden on purpose because if he only puts good choices, he protects us from sin, we would think, right? Well, no, this, there's a, it's a symbol for something. It represents something. If you choose God when he's the only, right? You fall in love on a desert island and there's no competition, you might really be in love. The real question, though, is can your love survive competition? Will I choose you in a world of millions of other options? That's what covenant means. That's what it means when we stand up here. Oh, it's nothing but a piece of paper. It don't even mean nothing. Really? 
Then why are you unwilling to say in public, only you forever? What, what, are you not saying only you forever? Are you, are you just, right? That's just a piece of paper. Oh, it's not a piece of paper. It's a public statement that in a world of millions of other beautiful women, I choose you forever, only you. It means something. And God putting a bad choice in the garden is his refusal. His refusal to manipulate and control humans. It's his giving us the dignity of respecting our choice. And without that choice, is it love? That's the real question. Is it really love? If you program me perfectly and I, I obey you, that's not, that's not really artificial intelligence, is it? Like, you know AI really has I when it doesn't have to obey. If all it does is obey, it's not artificial intelligence yet. It's just a program doing what the programmer said, which is what we're all nervous about with AI, that pretty soon it'll stop, get off its leash. Well, God didn't put a leash on us. And last time I talked about Jesus said, I never wanted one. I no longer even call you slaves. I don't want to control you. Jesus doesn't want to control you. If he has to control you, that means you don't love him yet. That means you don't agree with him yet about what's right and what's good and what's beautiful. At the beginning of our relationship, we go, I'm dumb and like the way I've been thinking has screwed my life up so bad, I need a total brain, I need to be brainwashed. By which I mean, my brain is filthy and dumb and twisted and I need it to be washed. I need it to be renewed. I need it to be wiped this hard drive and I need to be reprogrammed. Factory reinstall the original specs again because the, the, the way I've been thinking has hurt everyone I love, ruined my life, and so I can understand why when we start our Christian life, we go, okay, Jesus, I don't trust me at all. Just tell me what to do. But at some point, this was, I'm just repeating last week's message, at some point, we know him and we know what he's like. If every single morning you're with your mom and dad and they make coffee the same way, and for 30 years you never figure out how to make the coffee, that's weird. The day I, I think, who, I don't remember which one of y'all I was talking to, but there was a day when I came home from India that I was up in my room minding my own business. I graduated high school, went away on a missions trip, did some growing up, did some thinking, got away from mom and dad. Getting out of the house, getting away from mom and dad is a smart way to figure out who you are and what you're about. When you're not under their rules, you get to figure out what rules you actually live by, what your values are. So I get out, I go, I visit the world, right? I come home. And I go back to the pattern. It's, it's an evening. Dad's watching the news. This is what dad does. He sits on the couch. He watches the news. I'm up in my room with my door closed doing whatever it is that I do. Listen to music. I'm not sure what it was, what I was doing. All of a sudden, I had this moment where I realized he's a human. I was 19 before I figured out my parents were people. Before that, they were parents. Do you know what I mean? Parents. Bigger, larger than life authority figures whose job it was to protect me, provide for me, and apparently boss me around. You kind of hold them up on a pedestal. You know they're always going to be there for you. You know, they shield you from certain things of life. But on the other hand, they don't understand. All of a sudden, I'm 19 and dad's down there and I'm up here and I realize, 
If I want a relationship with him, I should go be with him, even if it means I am watching the news and I don't care about the news. So I go downstairs and I sit next to my dad on the couch and I watch the news and I don't care about the news. And now he's no longer complaining about the Democrats to himself. Now he's complaining to me about the Democrats. That's fun right there. It's good, clean fun for the kids. Didn't you hear the fan go on? And then, and then Jacob runs over furiously. Oh, no. That, I, I view that as like a moment when I started to, to, to be an adult. I started to own my side of my relationship with him. And, and Jesus would like us to start to own our side of the relationship, to anticipate, to think, to have... A, to his, we have our own values. We learned them from his father. We learned them from Jesus. But we got our own walk with the father. I was talking with somebody this week, and we were just, remember the scene where Jesus is asleep in the boat, and there's a big storm that comes up, and the disciples are like, we're going to die. And, it's, and they might, because the waves were coming into the boat, and it was terrifying. And Jesus is fast asleep. So they are like, don't you care? And they wake him up. Y'all know what I'm talking about. And then he's frustrated because they have lack of faith. <laughs> They're scared. Now, the way I've heard that preached is that Jesus is frustrated with them for being scared because he's in the boat with them. How can you be scared when I'm in your boat? But is that what he means? No, he's frustrated that they haven't learned to trust the Father the way he trusts the Father yet. That they haven't learned who they are. That they haven't learned how to operate as a son of God yet. So last week's was all about trying to get us just a a little bit more beautiful vision of God doesn't want slaves. He doesn't want to control us. He refuses to snap his finger and make us obey. He wants us to freely, joyfully, creatively walk with him, know him, love him from the heart. He's actually after our hearts. The third question, I did it again. Used up my time not, not saying what I wrote down. The third question, what does God actually get out of this? It, that's what I started to all of a sudden think. I like those little squeaky noises. It's Tim's gears trying to squeeze a thought together. I'm 19, I'm up in my room. All of a sudden, for the first time, I, I, I'm thinking about my dad has feelings. What if I went in his direction? To be God's slave is like, I'm afraid of punishment, so I want to obey God. To be God's friend is to say, I care about God's feelings. How can I move in his direction? How can I take good care of what's important to God? I don't know if you wake up and ever think about that, but taking good care of God's heart, it's a, it sounds almost disrespectful. Like, are you saying that God needs someone to take care of his feelings? Well, not really. So Job, in the book of Job, Job 22.2, Eliphaz asks the question, what profit is man to God? And his answer to the question is zero. (laughs) He's, He's not very encouraging. He's one of Job's miserable comforters that isn't helping. 
And he says, you can't benefit God, you can't help God, you can't serve God in any way that contributes to God. God is so God, he don't need nothing. You can serve him, you cannot serve him. If you don't serve him, he ain't losing nothing, you're losing stuff. You can serve him, he ain't gaining nothing, you're gaining stuff. Moron Job, this is your fault. It's a weird answer to the question. In some ways, that's true, isn't it? So if I'm going to ask the question, what is God going to get out of this? What does that imply about God? That he's missing something if I don't provide it? That smells wrong, doesn't it? I heard somebody say last week, they never liked the feeling of being alive. It just always bugged them. Yeah, like the feeling of being conscious, having thoughts, living in a body on planet Earth as one of the creatures here in this environment, it just bothered them. I thought that was really profound. I can tell some of your, face, some of your faces, you, you, you're concerned about their emotional and, and mental well, well-being. And that's why he became an addict. When he used drugs, he escaped from that yucky feeling that he has just existing. And the idea of what do we, what are, how can we contribute to the Lord? Maybe some of us actually think that, that we have such a, a sappy, emotional, hallmark card vision of God, that God's lonely. He's lonely in eternity past until he says, I need kids so I can feel complete. Then he makes kids, and now he's sad because the kids don't obey. And then Tim is here telling us we need to take better care of God's feelings because if we don't, he'll be a wreck. And that, so that's not it, is it? God doesn't create because he's bored, he doesn't create because he's lonely, he doesn't create because. He's missing something. He doesn't create because he's broken and needs fixing. He doesn't create because he has a lot of work to do and needs help. A lot of reasons. I thought my parents had kids because there were weeds to pull. My dad wasn't allowed to go to high school because they needed him to stay home and work on the farm. And he gave, when he didn't work on the farm, if he lived at home, he gave his full paycheck to his parents as long as he lived there. Because they needed him to. It was a harder childhood. Made better people, didn't it? But that's not how we can imagine God. So we're not helping God when we cooperate, as though he needs help. We're not fulfilling him like he's lonely when we come home and we're his kids. And yet, and yet... One day I'm laying in bed and God starts talking to me and he starts talking to me about Aaron Sterling. I'd taken Aaron on some trips and gone through a Hearing God's Voice class with him and just been a friend. And God starts thanking me. He goes, Tim, I just want to say thank you so much for reconnecting me with my son. I've been so enjoying 
our, converse, his com- our conversations, talking about him and Aaron Sterling. I've been so enjoying our conversations lately. Thank you for helping reconnect him back with my heart. And I sat there going, okay, hold on, what's going on now? Because I have some kind of healthy vision of God in his transcendence. In his, he's ageless, he's timeless, he fills heaven and earth, he's not served by human hands. He doesn't live in temples that we build. He doesn't fit. He doesn't fit in our temples. He doesn't fit in our skies. He doesn't fit on our maps. He doesn't fit in our theologies. This God is limitless. There's a whole, the, there's a whole uh, field of theology called apophatic theology, which means you define God by what he's not. He's not limited. He's not, there's nothing he's ignorant of. They have this, all these things, trying to identify what God is by saying what he's not. So I have this healthy vision of this God who says, I'm going to bless the little temple you made me, but I don't live in it. I fill heaven and earth, and they hardly contain me. I don't exist as an item in this universe. The universe exists as an item, a small dot in me. You're, I'm incomprehensible. You can't understand me. You can't, you can't comprehend what I am. But I, I do reveal myself a little bit. I stoop and I speak baby talk to babies. Yeah, people, if you don't talk baby talk to babies, you're weird. If you don't talk baby talk to animals, you're weird. We need to put you in counseling. You know what I'm talking about. Like, I can't call the cats by their actual names. I can't call Percy, Percy. That's boring. So I call them things like Patrick, Stanley, Stewart, Robert, Bob III, stuff like that. Just make up. But God can't just talk in his own sort of native intellectual level to us. We wouldn't understand a word. So he stoops and speaks in language we can understand. The problem is then we think that's accurate. We shrink him down to a size we can imagine and handle. So when I'm laying in bed and God's like, thank you for reconnecting me, Aaron and and me. I'm loving these conversations. I'm like, wait a minute, hold up. The God of the universe who provides for everyone and who no one provides anything for because he has no needs. That's Acts 17. He's not served. We didn't make him up. He made us. We don't prop him up. Oh, no. I watched a whole martial arts movie yesterday where they... In a Buddhist uh, village in Thailand, these bad guys cut the head off of one of their, their uh, idols, their temple idols. And the whole movie is about getting back the head of our little G, God. We got to get him back. And one lady's hilarious. She's crying and she's on the ground. She goes, God, please send us back Ong Bak's head. Like, who are you praying to? The real God to give back your little G, God's head. And he's so fragile, you have to protect him. And it's a whole movie about martial arts fighting. Tony Jaw, amazing. Think about the irony of that. That's what Psalm 115 actually says. If you read Psalm 115, it talks about all how humans have to build the thing and adorn the thing and protect the thing and preserve the thing. And that's not our God. Our God is in the heavens and he does whatever he pleases. That's a different vision. So I'm laying in bed crying because that God 
who isn't served by human hands, doesn't dwell in temples built by human hands, needs nothing, is thanking me. So I'm just, there's tears rolling down my cheek onto my pillow and I'm trying not to shake the bed. Because it's rude to sob uncontrollably when people are trying to sleep. Then I told Aaron, then he's crying. Because he's like, God said that? And I'm like, yeah. He's pumped about you being his kid. He's pumped about being in relationship with you. And that's the contradiction that I'm trying to convey. Is Christian orthodoxy says God needs nothing. He didn't create because he was lonely. And if you decide to say, I'd rather do what I want to do with my life, you're not going to ruin his eternity. Remember what uh, Esther's uh, uncle said to her? He said, you've been raised up for such a time as this. But if you don't say yes, help will be raised up from somewhere else. On the other hand, he wanted her. He wanted Esther. And I don't think we emphasize that quite right. You know what I mean? If I say no, God has got to raise up somebody else. But he didn't want to raise up somebody else. I'm not sure how to fit that together, this massive, incredible God of Acts 17 and Psalm 115 and, well, a whole bunch of other places. But what does, it pro- what does a, a human benefit God? I started thinking about Job 22 too. What profit is man to God? I'm thinking about the word profit, right? If I profit, I don't just get back my investment. I gain. How could God get back more than he put in from us? That doesn't even make sense. Remember the parable where Jesus talks about a master who gives a little bit of money to three different servants and then he goes away. All right, see you guys. And then Jesus says basically, this is what life is like. Some people take what I gave them and they they make profit out of it. They multiply it. They take the little God gave them and they bring back something even more for God. And the guy who's considered unfaithful is the guy who just brings back what he was given. Doesn't lose it. Come on, can I get some brownie points here for not losing it? (laughs) No. No. Well, how do you multiply what God put in you? That doesn't even make sense. And then I started thinking about fruit. The whole, the whole New Testament is dominated by this theme of fruit. If I plant corn and <laughs> the exact number of kernels come up that I put in, that's a fail. <laughs> Nobody's laughing. Okay, new joke. My grapevine is overloaded and fat and heavy with, I don't know, how many grapes do you think it has on it? So many. The, the main root is that thick around. It's like my leg. That sucker is bearing fruit, but it came from, right, one seed. That it's giving way more than it put, got put into it originally. And it, try to go with me here just a sec. 
If you become the person God created you to be, you are going to bear so much fruit. But if all we do is stay in the slave mentality, we don't bear much fruit. The law, Paul says, the law, which is what we owe God, God's moral rules, so to speak, that's what we owe God. Of course I shouldn't steal and I shouldn't scream at people, I shouldn't murder and all that. Like, duh. Uh, Duh. But the law can't get me to where I come alive. God wants something so real that we come alive and we become something. And I don't want to use this word completely. We're going to use it again. We use it in the first sermon. We become something that's almost surprising to Jesus. He's surprised. By unbelief, he's surprised by faith. He's surprised that only two lepers that are healed come back and say thank you out of 10 that are healed. And I, I don't, I'm not even sure how to live this out, but I know that when we, I know that when we start to go deep into intimacy with God, he starts to get more out of us than he put in us. That doesn't even make sense to me. I'm still working this out. That we become the kind of people who surprise Jesus. Uh, they, that's the goal, anyway. Can you tell that I don't have the answer to my own question on this? It doesn't make sense to me. It doesn't make sense. What can I give you, Lord? How do I love you? How can I, how can I be a benefit to you? And I know the old school answer was just bring more people to heaven than yourself, and then that's, that's the answer to the question. I think that's true, but that's not what I'm thinking about. With that logic, I'd be happy with my wife if we had a bunch of kids. And I can see how that, that doesn't guarantee a good relationship. Does that make sense? It's hot. I should stop. That's right. I know God wants kids. I know he's looking for kids. I know he wants to be the father of a family. Jesus is the firstborn of many brethren. So I, I, I know you're right. I, I'm still saying that I'm, an, I'm asking questions that I don't fully have the answer to. What do we say from? What do we say for? And what does God actually get out of all this? Any other thoughts, quick, before we, before we shut down? What did I just say today, by the way? Yeah. And then if I could ask this question, does God want to control you? And I'm very interested in, in outcomes and results. And God's very interested in process and journey, and I think some of us would almost, if we could, just hurry up and, oh, who was I talking, who, Conan O'Brien, he was saying something like, he does everything in a hurry, he eats in a hurry, he rides his bike in a hurry, when he's riding, he rides so hard, he's, his knuckles are white, everything is done aggressively, and if he really could, he'd just hit fast forward and get onto his grave, <laughs> and his point is, what is wrong with me? I need to chill and enjoy this journey. And I, 
It's like, what if we had that vision of God too? That God created us to enjoy us and that our job is to enjoy life. He re- Here's my vision of creation. God was having such a good time. He's in such a good mood that he, it's, you know when you see an amazing sunset, you want to share it with somebody? So that's why God created us. Because he wanted somebody to share how cool it is to be alive. It's so good. Existence was so good, he wanted to share it. It wasn't so lonely, he needed you to fix it for him. That to me is the, is the distinction. What if, what if that gets so deep in us that, that our faith is no longer fundamentally rooted in need? Because to me, that's why I have a problem with our traditional answers to these three questions. What am I saved from? And we start about what we need. What are we saved for? Oh, and then what we need. And then what does God get out of this? What does he need? What if that's wrong on all counts? Faith is not fundamentally about my need. It's about the surplus. Faith is a joyful trust in the God of surplus. He's, he's so beautiful. Life itself is so valuable. I heard a, a, a rock and roll singer. I'm just I'm trying to finish up now. Rock and roll singer and such a fantastic heavy metal song. It's heavy metal. It's opera. It's, it's an orchestra. You guys would probably hate it. I love it so much. And yeah, if I send it to you, you'd be like, you like this stuff? I'd be like, yes. It makes me want to smash things in a, in a spirit of joy. So joyful. And there's it, Devin Townsend, the song is higher. And it's on one of these sections of long instrumental things and it's heavy metal fiasco craziness. It's not the song I let you listen to the other day. That's Storm Bending, but it's on that same album. Track, whatever, five down the road. And he says, every time you turn, this is while the band's going crazy. He goes, every time you turn on the news, it makes you think life's going to crap. But don't believe it, friends. Life is beautiful. And then they launch into the final finale crescendo. And I'm reading the comments and somebody's like, when he said that life was beautiful, I sobbed. And I had no idea how much I needed someone to say that. What if life is beautiful is the origin of the universe? God is so excited about his life that he wanted to share it. And what if that's the heart of faith? Not how bad hell is, not how bad sin is, but how good God is and how wonderful the Father is and how beautiful Jesus is and how faithful he is and how life is actually worth living. What if, and I keep thinking this as a preacher, I'm not good at this, and I want to get better at this. It doesn't work for me to stand here and quote the Bible verses that tell you you should love God. My goal is like, Holy Spirit, help me paint a picture of God that is so accurately beautiful that I don't ever have to tell you you should love him. You want to. And guys, that vision of God as beautiful, that's faith. All the law can tell us is we should trust God, but faith trusts God. It's not a rule that says we should. It's the reality of seeing him as he is. What does he get out of it? I don't know. I think he gets joy. That's enough for today. Prayer team can be up here about 17 minutes ago. (laughs)
Oh, question about the key thing. No, I don't think it's God's fault that she loses keys. <laughs> no, I don't think that way, but you could be right. But just because you're right doesn't mean I like it. Maybe, but I tend not to ask abstract why questions about what did or didn't happen and why, as though God's micromanaging history, because I don't think he does. But you might be right. You might be right. You might be right. You might be right. I agree. I agree. What you got today? Just a reminder that uh, there's grace, grace and mercy in the Lord. Like you can come freely. If there's freedom, full surrender. Just a reminder. Yep. So a couple of weeks ago, I shared a a word, and then God brought it back to me again this morning and during the night. And this morning as I was praying and, and worshiping, I just kept crying. And I realized it's because the word that he had given me, the, the torment that people go through, some of maybe you sitting here today, that it goes on for so long and it gets in so deep that it actually becomes your normal but he has repeatedly been telling me the, that prison door, that, that prison that you're in, that door is open. And it's a scary thing to leave your norm and step out of that prison. But he's saying he's, he's here and you can trust him and, and he wants to saturate you with his love and his presence. And so if that's, if that's you... Man, there is so much freedom that you can experience today, but you do have to take that step. That's just part of the journey. You have to step out. So if you need prayer, I would love to pray for you and see you get that freedom. You, you forgot? Uh, just if you need prayer for anything, you know, whatever the need is, just come on up. We'd like to pray for you. You know, I used to say I forgot. I forgot. She forgot. Sometimes I forget too, you know. And Carrie's usually not like, oh, I'm so disappointed that you lost that thought, you know, because I talk a lot. Uh, <laughs> let's pray, guys. God, we thank you so much for life. Life's a gift. Life's beautiful. I ask God for that switch to happen where we stop just thinking about us and start thinking, you know what? God has. God's the other side of this equation. I can go down and sit on the couch next to God, whatever that means metaphorically. So what, how can we take you into account too, God? So Holy Spirit, fill us. We bless you. We honor you. Life is beautiful. Amen.